It is once again your Saturday coffee clutch. And ours. And ours. And here I am uh, with Heather Lofthouse, the executive director of Inequality Media Civic Action, uh, and my former student. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be here too, Heather. Uh, Look, you know, lots of news this week, but uh, I wonder if it's time to push the pause button a little bit. I mean, we're getting so many communications and emails from so many of you out there who are curious about, uh, well, uh, us, Heather, they uh, they are curious. You are curious, uh, especially how we got to the political views and values we have. I wonder if it's because it's graduation time and many people's uh, are kind of thinking about um, their kids or the future or an inflection point. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, but um, you're interested, all of you, in how our stories compare to yours. So we thought, in the midst of all of the chaos and everything else, debt ceiling, everything else that's going on, we would spend today's clutch on the personal and political. How's that? Yeah. What do I you like think? it philosophical. Well, kind of a deeper dive into yeah. in, into how our views are formed because we just take we take them for granted. And I actually I wanted to begin Heather with a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when was your well? We all have kind of political awakenings, right? Mm-hmm. We, when suddenly we begin to understand our values, our political values. When did that happen for you? Interesting. So I don't, I wouldn't say that I had one capital A awakening, lightning bolt style. But so here's what I can tell you. I went to a progressive elementary school, progressive as in lowercase p. Mm -hmm. It wasn't all, but it was very inclusive. It was very... This was in Des Moines? Yeah. In Kansas City? Yeah. Yeah. Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm. Um, And... It, I remember in third grade, my second grade teacher died, and he was a black man named Chris, and I loved him. Everyone loved him. He was phenomenal, and he was gay, and he died of AIDS, mm. and we were very, we were brought in as young people into this conversation about what it meant to be gay and have AIDS, and I mean, this was in the 80s. And um, you were you were eight? Nine years old. Yeah, younger. Yeah, right around there. Wow. Um, So it was this very, it was a progressive school. And then I remember in sixth grade, are you glad you asked? I'm going on here. Yes, I am glad I asked. Thank you. I mean, this is really Um, interesting. We've never talked about this. No. So in sixth grade, we had to do a debate and it was on the death penalty, capital punishment. I remember not even knowing what capital punishment meant. I was like, is that about letters? It's about going to the nation's capital. <laughs> right. And being, know, punished and being punished because of Republicans in office. Um, no, but I mean, capital, you know, decapitate. I mean, I got it now, Latin. Um, but And so we had to argue it. And I had to argue on the side of being pro the death penalty. Whoa. And I don't remember too many specifics, but I think, you know, I did eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of stuff, right? kind of arguments. But I remember thinking this is so difficult to argue this. And I so believe my friend Gina over there and the people on the other side. And so it was this interesting, I don't know, not out of body experience, but this idea of seeing another side early on this issue that was so vital. And this school, we talked about it as, you know, a racist practice um, and things like that. What a Um, great school. I know. I mean, it's really so was. rare that people, you know, both of these incidents, one when you're eight, one mm-hmm. when you're 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't remember 
anything when I was eight and 11. I mean, I... I know. My mom picked it because she was a single mom, mostly. And she thought this could provide me with some structure and community hmm. and morals and values that maybe she couldn't as a working single mom. Hmm. So she picked it on purpose. Now, we didn't talk about privilege, you know, as we would now. I mean, it was a different time. Now, we're talking, we're, give us some context. This is 1990s? So 80s? I was born in 77. Yeah. So this would be 80s. The 80s. Yeah. This is Ronald Reagan era. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. So that was my, okay, so your political. Oh, opinion. well, that mine is very simple. I uh, actually, I was very short for my age, always. And I got uh, into the habit of asking, you know, one or two older boys who I could rely on to be my protectors. I had a kind of protection racket. And this is the same ages. So that's, you know, around seven, eight years old, maybe six. And uh, one of my protectors was a fellow named Mickey. Uh, had a little sailor's cap. Just a cute fellow in my, my, my memory. Uh, and then I lost track of him, and I didn't need protectors. I could protect myself. I, you know, it was a different kind of, you know, once you get beyond the age of seven or eight, it, uh, at least for me, I didn't feel as physically endangered because I was short, as I did before that. So I didn't see Mickey or any of my other protectors for years. And then when I went to college, I heard that Mickey, Michael Schwerner was his name, mm -hmm. he had been, well, it's difficult to talk about. He had been registering black people to vote uh, in Freedom Summer, 1968. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it was 1964. Uh, and he was viciously, along with two other civil rights workers, uh, viciously uh, murdered, mm. uh, tortured and then murdered by the Ku Klux Klan, right. uh, the sheriff of Neshoba County. Um, and when I heard that my protector, Mickey, from the bullies, uh, had been had been tortured and murdered by the real bullies of America. I think it just changed my life in retrospect. I, I don't think I ever thought about things the same. No, it's brutal. Well, I began seeing... Here's the thing. I began seeing bullying mm -hmm. in all its forms. Uh, bullying of people economically, bullying of of working class and poor people by wealthy people, bullying of 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 women by men, bullying of people who were weaker and more vulnerable by the stronger and more dominant. And um, I, I began to think a lot about all of this, uh, and and Vietnam, of course, right. came right about that time, and and talk about bullying. Um, so. That was really quite formative. I believe it. And the the political became so personal for you. And the personal, I mean, it must have been. Well, you too. Yeah. I mean, it's it, what we're talking about is how at a fairly young age, I mean, you were younger than I am, when you had these kind of insights mm -hmm. into politics that affected you personally. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, uh, I was 18. But I think that there is kind of a foundation that, is laid very early on about how you see the world. Right. 
I think so too. And it's influenced by your parents, right? Your school, your protectors. Well, my parents were, uh, my, my father was a Republican, uh, not a conservative Republican. Mm-hmm. He was a, what, the, you know, there, there are no longer any people like this. This is a vanishing <laughs> Three, species, right. a Rockefeller Republican, Jacob Javits. I mean, he was, he was a liberal Republican, but he was still a Republican. Uh, he hated, I remember he hated uh, Joe McCarthy. I mean, mm. he would just, we'd, we'd sit there looking at this little television with this tiny little screen. One of the first televisions in the 1950s. We had it. We, you know, my father wanted to watch television. Right. And um, we saw the Army McCarthy hearings where Joe McCarthy was railing. And my father, God, I just remember him getting so angry, so furious about, and it was bullying. It was the same thing. Right. Yeah. That's a political awakening. I mean, you don't know it's... So for me, I didn't know it was political at the time, right? I didn't know that the tools we could use to fix society... I knew we wanted to. There wasn't... We did the opposite of othering at that school. It was belonging well, You know the, what I mean? But you, what you learned at that school, and it's, it's right. extraordinary, is a degree of connection between what is out there mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. and personal compassion. That's it. And and again, this has to do with privilege too, but kind of efficacy, you know, like you should be thinking about these things. You can be thinking about them. You can potentially do something. Now, I didn't think of political action right away. Um, and I wouldn't, I mean, progressive, I don't even, that term doesn't come naturally to me, even though I believe that I'm progressive. And I, I remember reading a David Sirota piece a long time ago, where he talked about the difference between being a liberal and a progressive. And he basically said, for example, something like, I'm not going to get this exactly right, but a liberal policy would be, you know, energy costs are exorbitant. So let's, there's a low income household energy program. Let's put more money into it and fund it more. Fine. That's liberal. Um, But the progressive vantage would be, okay, what is actually, and this is what we learned in policy school. What is, how do we define the problem? What is the problem? Is it that people don't have enough money to spend? Is it that it's too expensive? Or is, you know, there a problem with the profiteering, potentially, of the company? So is there regulation we can put into place? Well, you're going deeper and deeper. And I think that that's what, that's what political values are all about. Right. It's kind of peeling away the surface. You know, is it, I mean, the, the, the issue is not the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. The issue is deeper. It's about values, about society. And the reason that I get so upset you know, just physically, emotionally upset with Republicans in Congress is that they don't seem to understand or they don't seem to have any compassion for the fact that, uh, that you know, the working class and the poor in this country are taking it. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're just in worse shape than they've ever been. Most people in America, and I'm talking again about the great American lower middle class, working class and the poor, they have not had a an increase in their wages adjusted for inflation in 40 years. I mean, even though the economy is much, much larger than it used to be. Talk right. about bullying. I mean, this is right. this is a form of bullying. And um, 
why do you have a political party that is insensitive to this and and says that it's standing up for the working class right. when it's just doing the opposite, when it's using every means of deflecting and distracting attention from what's really going on, uh, you know, using wokeism and all these other yep. crazy ideas. It's not uh, only insensitive to it, though. No, it's, it it's a step further than that. It's worse than insensitive. Yep. They are on the payrolls, many of them, of the richest people in this country. I, know. I, I don't want to let Democrats off the hook. I, you know, when I was in the administration, Clinton administration, I saw the viciousness of money, yeah, big money, starting to infect policymaking in this country. Not again, not Republicans, but Democrats. You know, Bill Clinton was essentially selling the Lincoln bedroom at the White House, right, to the highest bidder. That's one way to put it. Well, it's a terrible way of putting it. Well, but, but it, it rings. But, it, but but you know, I was I was I was offended by that. It, 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 you know, it, it, I I think that what we are talking about now is our our deepest instincts mm -hmm. about how to respond to currents that we see in politics in our society that are very difficult to understand or respond to. If you are, if you have a capacity for outrage. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I, I mean, talking about the Republicans and the debt ceiling, I mean, making this, are they making, are they, I mean, so much of it, I think is about getting Biden out. And it's all about, him. it's all cynicism. It's all I cynical. I mean, it's, it's getting Biden, it's showing power. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's asserting uh, power and 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 dominance. Uh, this is what Trump's whole mo is about. Yeah. It's power and dominance. Uh, this is why I'm a little bit worried. Constant, you know, to be completely candid with you, Heather, it's, I'm a little bit worried about the upcoming election because because Trump has made the and framed every issue that america faces and americans face as issues of strength or weakness mm -hmm. and he is going to focus like a laser he already has on what he perceives as and wants everybody else to perceive as biden's fragility or weakness right. or vulnerability and uh, and that's going to be a tough one i know but this is i mean this is messaging 101 i mean this is greek this is it's so messaging. Basic. It's basic, and what we're but talking are we... about are basic values. Right. Uh, but uh, the Democratic Party, since I've been associated with the Democratic Party, which is only 140 years, right. has been horrible at messaging. I mean, really horrible. I mean, the Democratic Party gets wound up in in policy, mm -hmm. you know, in in twelve point plans, right? Instead of fundamentals, right? You know, capillaries. Value. You know, it should be values. Why do we care about this? Right. And uh, I, I want to, sometimes I just want to shake these politicians, Democratic politicians. I wish you would. Well, I try. I know, on Twitter and otherwise. Yes. A virtual, yeah. a virtual shake. Um, well, what do we tell young people today then? Well, it, it, it's, ah. it's, it's a tough one. I you know, just went through my last formal graduation ceremony, commencement right. ceremony. Right. Um, and uh, I did address the students. Uh, it, it's hard because so many young people today um, are, are so close to cynicism. Uh, they, 
They're worried about their own futures, personal futures. How am I going to make a living? How am I going to pay off my debts? How am I going to uh, have a family? How am I going to afford a family, afford a house? Um, and on top of that, you've got climate change. And on top of that, you've right. got democracy. And on top of that, you've got you know racial injustice and yep. structural racism. How do you how do you possibly find your way through all of this? And what I say to them is, you know, number one, don't burn out. Mm -hmm. Be careful of yourself. And number two, try to locate your values and try to stick as closely as you possibly can to those basic values. Uh, and number three, um, use your community and your friends as your ballast, as your, as, as your sources of strength, because it, you're going to need them. Yeah. That, that's good advice. That was your commencement speech. I want to see it. Well, maybe we can find it. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's I'm, good though. Well, I, I I'm embarrassed uh, about that kind of stuff because it's it it's it it feels in some ways as if this is an old white guy telling a not, a generation fifty years younger what they ought to be doing. I, I don't have any idea. I'm not wise. You are, though, and oh, they come say on. that. Come it's on. true. No. And they hear it, and you are who you are, and they know that, and they still listen. Well, But mental distress is through the roof for young people these days, yeah. and for women, and for people of color, and for women of color. But also young people are more progressive than they have been, Yes, which matters. And soon, I mean, think about it. The, the millennials and the Gen Zs today are going to be 60% of the electorate in a decade or well, more. this is why we're seeing this backlash that is so intense. Yeah. Uh, why Republicans, and particularly, you know, Republicans representing rural white men, uh, are so just outraged. Yeah, they want to hold back the demographic realities. Yeah, they want to change what's happening. They, you know, they're they they're they're susceptible to the Tucker Carlsons of the world who say, oh, you know white replacement right well and the elon musks and the elon musks and all of the other so many. authoritarians yeah. uh, but i think what we're talking about is the importance of anchoring yourself in your fundamental values That's understanding it. them from the uh, early days from an early from an early time knowing where they come from once you do that it's very hard once you do that the, the, those values take on a certain strength right and the their foundation. I mean, yeah. I think that's your point about you got to return to them when you're in the middle of it all. Yeah. One final question for you, and um, Heather, and that is, you're now doing, if I may say so, an extraordinary job as executive director of Inequality Media and Inequality Media Civic Action. How did you get into your present work? Thank you for that compliment. Um, how did I get into it? Well, I think, so when I was, I've always worked in nonprofits. And then I remember somebody said, oh, if you want to get, if you want, if you really care about the world, you won't get an MBA, you'll get the master's in public policy, which is the MBA for the nonprofit and people who care sector. And I was one of these women in my- I didn't know there was a people who care sector. <laughs> yeah, that sector. Yeah. Well, I mean, someone, but someone yeah. really did pitch it to me that way. Yeah. Um, and I kind of did the, you know- Meeny, meeny. I just picked a master's degree in my late 20s. You know, I was like, I think I need to go to or mid to late 20s. I think I need to get a master's degree. And I picked public policy and it was the best thing 
he taught me al- how to think. You had already been out in the world. I'd been working. out in the world yeah. in nonprofit. So I skewed that way and I majored in philosophy, speaking of values. And I loved all my classes and studying Aristotle and ethics and what does it mean for a human to flourish and yeah, moral philosophy. I loved all that. Is it Oxford? No, no. that was you. Yes. I wish. I couldn't have gotten into Oxford. Um, no, that was at um, GW undergrad where I had phenomenal professors, by the way. Um, really grateful for that. And I took lots of neat classes. I remember I took this humanities course with this professor who got on the desk and was pulling his hair and Robert Gans, I think he actually just passed away at 97. Um, and he made us read William Carlos Williams poems. Mm. And it was a 20th century consciousness class. And we were talking about the human condition and Americanism and how, I don't know, we would have lost our way. And this last line of this poem um, was no one to drive the car. And he was shouting at us, there's no one to drive the car. We don't believe in God anymore. And we're not tied to our old traditions and Americans. And it was like this interesting, that was another, that was more of like an intellectual awakening, Mm. but I liked thinking big. So then I went to policy school and then, I don't know, I thought, where, where can I make a difference? I mean, when you learn in policy school is how to define the problem. I've said that to you before. You've said it to me before in classes. And so then where can you make a little difference at the margin of the margins margin? I feel like we do that. The margin of the margin. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why I did it. I love it. Well, I'm lucky. You are doing a wonderful, wonderful job. And I thank you for that. And on I behalf of the you. world. Oh, God, that's so lovely. The world that asked well, I me thank to, you. Because you. without you, there's not a lot happening on well, the anyway. social media. Uh, look, at, uh, enough, enough of our contemplating our navels. Uh, we will be back <laughs> next week with uh, more of the actual week's events. Uh, but thank you for tolerating our little, our little voyage today. It's nice. Thank into you our, for that. You know, into our values. Yeah. Important. We'll do it again. Okay. Okay. <laughs>